HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today's program is going to be focusing on hunger issues. My guest in studio today is Anthony Butler. He is the executive director of St. John's Bread and Life. Tony Butler has worked in the field of social service and community organizing for over 30 years. He's been active on homeless issues for the past 20, particularly as they relate to technology's affect on services and housing. In June of 2005, uh, Butler took the position as the executive director of St. John's Bread and Life, and during his tenure there, Bread and Life has grown to a $3 million annual budget and has served over 500,000 meals annually. As part of Bread and Life's commitment to providing nutritious food, it has grown its partnership with the sustainable food community. And over the past two years, Bread and Life has brought over $200,000 worth of sustainably grown New York State products into the community. It continues to partner with the Brooklyn and New York food community to address the issues of hunger and poverty welcome to the studio tony uh, thank you <laughs> it's great to have you here be now here. before we started uh, before we um you know came into the studio you were talking about um in the late 1970s and i actually did a little research about this after we had that conversation and it looked as though hunger was no longer going to be such a widespread issue amongst the poor but that the um reagan budget cuts had had a profound impact on delivering um services and and dealing with hunger in in the in the uh private sector. Can you take us back through that history? And yeah. Um, we were running memory serves in the uh, late 70s, right till about 1980. Um, food stamp uh, usage was up. Um, hunger was dramatically down. We were looking at about only 10% of folks were, were in, the, in the crisis of hunger, meaning they could not bring uh, meals to their tables on a, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. In 1982, late 81, 82, 
um, the Reagan administration did dramatic cuts on the on the food safety network. Dramatic cuts in uh, TFAP, which is the, which is the uh, f- uh, food that comes into food pantries. Dramatic and dramatic cuts, particularly in food stamps. Just an anecdotal or, or an illustration of that. Um, prior about 1980-1981 in New York City. There were 16 emergency food providers, uh, fundamentally soup kitchens, and dealt with what folks really consider soup kitchens, the classic kind of Bowery bum kind of mm-hmm. folks who are really marginal and having a real tough time making it, and poverty was their significant issue. By 1983, 1984, that had taken off, and by 84, there were some 1,600 emergency food providers in New York City. Well, what was happening economically that... Um I'm trying to think about what was going on in the mm. first years of the Reagan administration that would cause such a, an abrupt rise in there was still food insecurity. The, the leftover um, of of the of the recession from the Carter the years, the Carter recession, yeah, right? Um, and that that was still still going on, and and it was definitely um, it was a part of that whole trickle down. The idea was to reduce taxes, and the easiest way, in some ways, in our country to reduce taxes is to place the burden on the poor. Uh-huh. Um, because gee, it, that does not sound familiar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Unbelievable. So go on. Tell us more. So you went up. The statistics rose dramatically. Dramatic uh, increase in statistics. um, An an attempt, kind of an illusory attempt. That's when that whole kind of government cheese model came out. uh, The idea that surplus foods um, could um, affect hunger. One of the issues that folks in our country need to understand about hunger is it's not like a say a third world country where they've had a great famine or a civil war or something and the, and the crops are depleted. It's hunger is a poverty issue in this country, mm-hmm. and it's uh, always been people making choices between food and rent, uh, food and medical care, food and uh, clothes for their kids. Um, and without that kind of supplement, particularly food stamps, which is a very good supplement, um, they were not able to make ends meet. Um, and what happened is the private community. Um, attempted to respond to that by uh, mostly small churches giving out you know bags of groceries, sandwiches, and like mm-hmm. that. Never having the kind of robust infrastructure to be able to do that. It reminds me of those thousand points of light. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some of them aren't that so bright right now. Bush, Daddy, uh, <laughs> Daddy Bush was yeah. always talking about those thousand points of light when he was running for election. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It just doesn't work. I think no. the government must be involved right. in managing benefits like this. I don't really see any other way. So now, talking about you know things in the present, um, why don't you talk a little bit about the proposed cuts in the farm bill to SNAP benefits? Because SNAP is the largest part right. of the farm bill. It's the biggest allocation mm-hmm. in the farm bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people think that it's actually crop insurance or crop subsidies, but mm-hmm. it's really not. Right. That's a very small fraction of what really makes up the farm bill. Right. So what's going to happen when they um, take those big chunks out of the What's um, happening? Benefits. Excuse me. What's happening right now in the uh, SNAP benefits? SNAPs are actually food stamp. It's yeah. the, um, a supplemental uh, nutritional something something. Supplemental nutrition assistance program. Assistance program. Thank you. <laughs> um, the the uh, bill that just went was approved by the Senate and went to the House. Right. Is proposing over ten years to cut four point five billion dollars in SNAP money. Uh-huh. Um, what that will do over ten years. Uh, over ten years, four point five billion dollars. Um, what that will do is, particularly in New York City, 40% of those uh, who are hungry in New York City will be affected by that. Uh-huh. It's about um, something like around 800,000 uh, families who will lose $90 a month for groceries. Um, and when you're only bringing in $230, $240 of groceries, you lose $90. It's a significant impact. Jiminy, yeah. Um, the biggest people who will be hurt are people who receive other federal subsidies. So the biggest people who will be hurt are working families and seniors 
who receive if they receive uh, heating subsidies, if they receive Medicare, and um, which we forget that that's a federal subsidy. Um, yeah. Um, they will that will be offset, so they will lose their food stamps because the idea is they're receiving the Medicare money. So it'll be offset by that much. So in other words, any, those people are only allowed to receive so much, yeah, essentially, kind of from the government sum. pie. Exactly. Okay. Um, Jeez. There will be, what they're going to do is they're, they're uh, arguing to put $175 million of TFAP money. TFAP money is the money that food pantries receive, mostly kinds of lines of credit to purchase food. Uh-huh. Um, that is over 10 years, but that money's coming from the $4.5 billion. So if you do the math, $4.5 billion, um, and only putting 175 million back yeah. in. Somebody's um, making some money here. It's very disproportionate. And people <laughs> need to know that the farm bill, food stamps, food stamps support farmers. Yeah, that's the purpose of it. The purpose of it is that this money goes back into farm. It also food stamps dramatically supports local economies. Um, New York City two years ago, I don't know what the stat was last year, but two years ago lost almost a billion dollars in food stamp money. That for eligible people, and that's a billion dollars that could come in local supermarkets, local bodegas. That money circulates. I think the the rough statistic is about nine times. So every dollar uh-huh. um, grows um, ninefold, um, and so that's um, for municipalities. Um, it's a tremendous hit because it it forces or it reduces the amount of federal monies coming back in. Very interesting. Well, that that leads right to the next question. Right, if I is, could just add one oh, thing, yeah, the House bill, the bill that's in front of the House, is even more draconian. Yes, it's twelve billion dollars over ten years in cuts in in uh, in the, the SNAP program. Uh, so, do you think we can expect to see uh, you know food riots ten years from now? Uh, unless the economy conceivably, is I mean, opposed? we're we're getting this perfect stormish kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. with the what um, thirty nine states I think are, are at drought risk yeah. right now. I mean, I'm just reading on CNN this morning that. Corn and soy prices are going through the roof. Unbelievable. The highest prices ever. Corn is over $10 yeah. a bushel right now, and it's probably trading higher on the futures yeah. market. So, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, the, the prices of food are going to escalate dramatically, but we're not going to see those prices for about 10 months. Right. I read all those trade blogs, yeah. too. And, um, yeah, so you don't know, you don't necessarily notice it right away, but you will be seeing, like, all of your um, livestock prices, all of mm-hmm. the protein, you know, chicken, pig. And, and, and anything cattle. that's made with soy, which is everything we eat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Every or corn. Yeah. And all of the processed foods that we eat and all of the um, snack foods. Of course, mm-hmm. that might not be the worst thing yeah. in the world if that stuff becomes a little more expensive. Um, but to go back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about in terms of, of municipalities losing a billion dollars, yeah. um, how good are New York's elected officials at advocating for the disadvantaged, um, particularly on the federal um, level? And the, uh, Senator Gillibrand's been very courageous in advocating, um, was on the House floor, or Senate floor, excuse me, um, advocating against these cuts. Unfortunately, yeah. without success, um, she's been very... Very good, um, and also very good kind of working the macro picture on the federal level and working to support New York State farmers, which is one of the few growth industries in New York State, particularly outside of the cities in New York State. Yeah. She's been very good with that. What about Bloomberg and his nutrition initiative? What do you think of that? Do you feel like that's just pandering to the masses or is that actually a real program that he's going to fund and you know something is actually going to happen with that? I think it's something, I don't think he's pandering. I think it's a, I don't know if it's terribly useful. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's um, one of our mayor's strengths and weaknesses is his undying belief in technology, mm-hmm. that you can create a system and, and it will create change, um, as opposed to 
creating change and then creating a system to manage that. I see. Um, That's and, interesting. Um, so I don't know, and I don't know if leader sodas are our biggest uh, concern right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I don't know. I, I like. I, I'm glad that he did that, and mm. um, and also today I was when I was driving down here. Um, he was on Face the Nation with Bob yeah. Schieffer, and he was talking about the tragedy in Colorado mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, the Congress, not he didn't say the Congress, he was pointing his finger directly at Obama right. and Romney about gun control and assault weapons mm. being banned once again. And, and I, I would give the mayor kudos, slightly off topic, but he does use his bully pulpit well. Yeah. Um, both by his wealth and his ability to um, you know, get in, in, in the press and like that, a very good and articulate around that and, and fearless with that too. I would yeah, I think so too. I, I, I mean, I, there are things about him I don't like, but I, I really do appreciate that. And I do feel like he's he's definitely got the welfare of the population, oh, yes. you know, close to his heart, as opposed to, um, you know, so many other politicians yeah. who are really all about lining yeah. their pockets or personal um, growth. What about Anthony Weiner? He's... <laughs> throw this one in because I noticed like a headline saying that he was you know rumored to be considering a run for the mayor you know assuming that everybody's forgotten his um, underpants photo or whatever yeah. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean I really liked the guy I was very I, sad when he blew himself up like that I did so. I just there's always the, the question of judgment the question of judgment you know I'm I mean, I do know he spent a lot of time in the gym when we saw that picture, but um, <laughs> he still didn't look that good. <laughs> but it's um, but that but that question of of what is his judgment, and I maybe my cynicism is you know there's a bit of you know he's doing the photo ops with his young child and like that I get a little little cynical. So I'm holding my judgment on Anthony Weiner, though, though yeah. he was when he was in Congress very effective politician. He was and a very passionate uh, yeah. about you know issues mm-hmm. that he felt strongly yeah. about, and I really admired that and, and appreciated that in him. Um, I love the way he would beat up the rest of the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like throw a tantrum. I, I, I thought it was great. I just loved it. Um, you know, great theater. Yeah. Um, you were recently profiled in the Huffington Post, yes. and um, you included this quote: "We have amazing supporters of bread and life, though the downside of this job is the worry about money, as I need to raise three million dollars a year." in order to respond to the current need hunger needs here. The demand keeps growing, and we continue to see a rise in the number of working families needing our services. Can you put those demands into some kind of perspective? Like what we're seeing... Tell us about what you guys provide. Yeah. And um, at Bread and Life, we provide a uh, hot meal program on-site um, and a mobile soup kitchen, a uh, truck that goes around to six different communities, um, and a food pantry. Um, that uh, adds up to approximately 2,100, 2,200 meals per day. Our biggest increase has been in folks who are working, mm-hmm. um, particularly young families. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier in the um, in the in the conversation, um, they're folks who are just not making it, um, and it's it's really a scandal because these are folks who are working hard. Yeah, um, and that that continues to grow. Um, and I, I it's what be- do you attribute that to? I mean, is that because um, housing is so expensive here? Um, yes, yeah, so like- housing, housing, and the lack of real wage growth since the late seventies, right? Um, and uh, we, we've shifted. I mean, anecdotally, you can see that in 1979, a single person could provide for their family. One income, you cannot do that now. It dem- the demands a two-income household, and yeah. it demands childcare, and so on and so forth. Right. I can see how that would really add up. Absolutely. Um, and so given that you depend on private donations rather than government funding, mm-hmm. um, does politics play a big role in oh, yes. your yeah. fundraising and you know um, finding money for the organization? Uh, my whole life is asking people for money. If we were doing television, everyone could see my gray hair. <laughs> 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 They'd see that winning smile too, Tony. <laughs> um, I can see why you work, uh, why you're, why you're so successful. At but it. We, um, we we do depend on folks. Um, 
I think believing that they can invest in this mission and believing that um, a community is something to invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, we're only uh, running right now about 9% government funding. The rest is all privately raised between foundations and, and, and individuals. God, that's incredible. Yeah. $3 million. Yeah. That's really so, so impressive. That says something about what a smooth talker you are, <laughs> Mr. Butler. <laughs> um, Carlos, I think we should take like our 30-second sponsor drop. We'll come right back with Anthony Butler of St. John's Bread and Life. This is Katie Kiefer on Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. Stay tuned. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. We're back. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, Carlos, and sorry to everybody out there. Um, <laughs> this is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network, and we are speaking with Anthony Butler today, the Executive Director of St. John's Bread and Life, which is a, um, a sort of multi-service uh, organization based in Bushwick. No, in Bed-Stuy. Bed-Stuy, Bed- yes. So, Tony, one of the things that you have done recently um, is you developed this really cool piece of technology in managing your food pantry and making its contents available to clients so they can sort of shop online. Can you tell us a little bit about that product, like what you do and, I mean, how they use it? Sure. Um, If I give a little background, when I took this Mm -hmm. job in 2005, um, I Googled uh, best practices in emergency food, and there weren't any. There was all kinds of information on how many fat people there were, how many hungry people there were, food deserts and lack of fresh produce, and so on and so forth. Um, I thought maybe we could look at some information and see what kind of change uh, agent we could be. Um, as we grew and, and built our new building, uh, our new $8 million facility, um, I wanted to bring technology into it because I, I thought that was the only way to do it. And I also thought that there's a, a bias against technology in poor communities. People thought I was kind of crazy to do this. There, uh-huh. There's some bias that poor communities, if you will, are too stupid to use technology. Yeah. Um, we wanted to give people choices with food um, because people should be able to choose what they eat. Um, and to do that, we created a digital food pantry. This digital food pantry is composed of people receive basically a debit card with points on it. Uh-huh. They swipe it on a screen, up pops the um, food pyramid, and they choose what grains we have in stock, what meats, so on and so forth. Um, it allows us, too, to tie into our case management database because we provide robust services to work to get people off of emergency food. Yeah. That's really our goal. Um, and it allows it has allowed me to collect usage data. It's amazing. When we first opened, we moved to our new building. We had a, it was right when the recession hit. We had a 74% increase in the amount of folks coming. It was just insane. We only had a 62% increase in the amount of food they were taking because we realized when we give choice, people actually took less. Wow, how interesting. I mean, we may have, we may have been doing the, uh, you know, the insulting thing of giving pork to the Muslims or something. You know, so just giving stuff that people didn't like, wasn't culturally sensitive. Um, so we developed this. It's allowed us to capture data. It's allowed us to streamline our process. We've been able, with the same staff, to handle over these four years um, almost a 38% increase in the number of people coming through. Um, we've grown the system. The system now um, allows us to target foods to nutritional groups. Uh-huh. If someone has hypertension, they can see the low salt. If someone's living in a rooming house and only has a microwave to cook with, they can see those products. They'd be cooked in a microwave. We have the capacity to do halal food. We have the capacity to do kosher food. Um, if we have an issue, say, obesity or something, we can target more dietetic food. Um, and all this technology has, has allowed us to do that. 
Um, we're, in this, uh, we're in the process of creating another iteration of this software that um, will be completely web-based um, with the idea that I can put it in any municipality or any location. Um, people can put their order and the food can be delivered. So any food pantry um, that wants to use this application mm-hmm. can go on the web and key in what their products are in right. their food pantry. We could do it. And then their clients can basically yeah. do the same thing that your yeah. clients are doing at and, St. John's. And, and, and it would be completely web interface, so the, mm-hmm. the cost structure would be low. Yeah. Um, it's allowed us to completely track our inventory, make much better use of, as we talked earlier about donations, I'm, I'm much better, much more efficacious use of folks' donations on ordering, keeping real time, less spoilage. One of the things we do, too, is that if the more nutritious stuff, if you will, is cheaper, um, or if I get a huge donation, say, from a city harvest or a food bank, say I get a whole bunch of lettuce, which is rather perishable, yeah. I can make that either very cheap or very free to move it. Right. Um, our next iteration also will allow us to put menu, uh, excuse me, recipes with certain products um, to encourage people to use them if they, may not, if they might, might uh, be uh, knowledgeable of those products and how to cook them. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, I actually was talking to Christy. We're going to be doing a little business together later on in the season. But um, so, where do most of your food donations come from? What's what's the typical breakdown of that? Is it from? It's not from individuals. It's from corporations or from uh, City Harvest. Or? Yeah, our food donations come from uh, City Harvest, which is a very large food rescue organization here in New York City. They come from Food Bank, mm-hmm. which is a, uh, another uh, procurer of food. Um, they those com- are pri- sorry to interrupt so, you, but those are primarily um, packaged goods. A, the food bank primarily packaged goods and canned and like that. Yeah. Um, though moving to more fresh produce, City Harvest a significant amount of fresh produce. Mm-hmm. Um, we do some private donations. You know the the, the Scouts food drive and the local community school a food drive. I encourage those as a way of kind of um, fostering. Uh, commitment to this sure, kind of engagement. work yeah. um, but uh, actually if people give me cash I can it's much more efficacious because sure. I can buy stuff cheaper um, we're spending though this year as, as you uh, alluded to in the um, in the introduction we're spending probably about three hundred three hundred fifty thousand dollars in cash um, and the um, about two hundred thousand of that will be spent on, on New York State grown produce that's fantastic so that's quite a nice little shot in the arm yeah. to the, to the yeah. local economy now if you had some opportunity to change you know part of some of the donations that you see coming in what would you want you'd want more fresh produce more fresh do you produce. get meat we do get meats we do get uh-huh. meats um, we're actually in a process of expanding so we can handle more meats because uh-huh. there's refrigeration needs and like that yeah. we do get meats um, we had a huge it's amazing the stuff I've had to learn about commodities we had a huge influx of chicken last year because the Russians didn't buy chicken. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, it was sort of their loss in our gain that yeah. all this chicken um, wow. was grown. Fascinating. And, um, we've had um, farmers, because we're able to handle tractor trailer loads, we've had farmers from Florida bring up stuff because some deal fell through and they didn't want to destroy the crops. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our, um, I should mention, one of our, uh, one of the effective, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but effective. No, government supports is the HIPNAP funding, Hunger Nutrition Assistance Program, which is a New York State-funded program. Um, New York State spends uh, annually roughly $30 million giving out money that fundamentally goes to food, to nonprofits. Um, I was up at a HIPNAP conference, and and there was a research project being done by Harvard, and New York State gives more uh, emergency food money than any any other state in the union. It also is the only state in the union that is under the threshold of the four childhood health indicators of obesity, hypertension, um, uh, malnutrition, and um, uh, growth, 
uh-huh. age-appropriate growth. That's right. not the technical term. But, um, and there seems to be some correlation that this, this money is being spent. One of the things that the legislatures, when I went up to, I have to go up and ask for this money, um, is I did make a commitment to spend the money in New York State because I think tax money should come back locally. I think it's being um, yeah. an, an effective director and effective, effective steward of the money. And yeah, so that, that that's, makes sense that's been an appropriate, uh, very uh, effective program. So you've developed all these different kinds of um, alliances with uh, farmers groups. Mm-hmm. Do you work with Grow NYC also? Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, is this part, so this not only goes into your soup kitchen products, whatever you make for right. the daily mm-hmm. meals, but also out into the food pantry. We do. We put it in the food pantry. Um, and to kind of encourage one of the things we have regular, we have a demonstration kitchen yes. that does cooking classes. <laughs> And oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> She's so bad. <laughs> yeah. i make you come over and cook. I can't wait. I, I'm serious. I'm going to do it. Um, but to, um, because there's a whole, there's a, like, like most of America, there's a dearth of cooking knowledge out there among yes. a, a lot of folks and, and how to use those um, products. So, so we do work to, to bring those into our food pantry and our soup kitchen. Um, and we've really tried to develop an alliance with the food community. Mm-hmm. Um, the farmers, um, the, the restaurateurs, the purveyors, the people doing kind of value-added stuff. Because I believe the food community does a tremendous job of responding to the hunger needs of people with means. They have some obligation to respond to the hunger needs of people without means. Uh, I, I think you're right, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I don't think anybody would argue, unless maybe you're you know, a larger yeah. structure. But I know a lot yeah. of I mean, a lot of these guys give away time, yeah. money, yeah. product yeah. Uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. In fact, I think it's one of the great, um, you know, the worst, best kept secrets in the food community is just how much time, especially the big chefs. Yeah. Um, Eric Repair, I know, for instance, is a tireless donator of time mm-hmm. and services um, to lots and lots of different charity organizations mm-hmm. that, of course, he's on the board of city yeah, harvest so yeah. um and he has, he's on something else anyway doesn't matter but yeah. he's just one no, of the many. many yeah yeah no it's it's it's, it's, very it's, it's it's very exciting and it helps me because i'm the ac- accidental kind of food guy you know yeah <laughs> yeah you didn't have a background in no food. No. no you have a background in basically managing yeah non-profit, you know, non-profit and I, I developed, organizations i developed homeless housing for years and um so now moving to this and uh well, I hope, I hope this becomes a blueprint for success yeah. because, I mean, just the whole, I mean, what you were describing earlier about your digital food pantry and the way that you can, uh, you know, track products and track the population and mm-hmm. what their what their needs are and that in, in the end this has actually saved money, Yes, I think is just extraordinary. I mean, it really makes such a big difference where every dollar counts. Um, I, I can see how that it would have a very large impact over time. One of the things we've launched is, um, we're calling it Direct Express, which is probably not the best name, but for folks who are really trying to get on their feet and doing the right thing, they might be working part-time, they might be um, going to some kind of program, they might be going to school, and they can't come when our food pantry hours are open. Mm-hmm. They can come in very early, put their order, and then pick it up later. Wow. Um, because we want to encourage the folks who are tr- you know, particularly trying to, to get out of this, uh, right. this need in this system. Yeah. What about the people who aren't? We, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, I don't believe we will solve poverty. I, you know, yeah. Actually, I think if we could solve poverty, I'd be a very wealthy person if I could come up with that system. Yep. Um, but you do need to encourage people. Um, but we do operate, um, St. John's Bread and Life operates based on the value of the individual person. It's not, it's not a, a means testing or anything like that. The people are inherently valuable and that people inherently have a right to food. 
Yeah, absolutely. This, this country is just a scandal yeah. that anybody should be food insecure. It's beyond belief. Um, Tony, let me see if I have one more question for you. I think basically we probably... Oh, no, we still have a few minutes here. Um, so what's what's next for you guys? What's... Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other services because it's not just yeah. food at right. St. John's. You you deliver a whole range of services, we, I know. So can you talk a little bit about those yeah. and then... We saw roughly um, 9,000 folks for services outside of food out of our 22,000, I think we saw last year. Um, we have an immigration clinic on site. We have um, we can do food stamp application, Medicaid application. We have medical services on site. We have legal wow. services. One of the things that's been developed, we partner with St. John's University and been developed by the students is a thing called Project ID to help help folks get their non-driver's ID, their birth certificate, social security cards. So they can vote. Exactly. <laughs> Though it's funny, that's what it started as. It started as a voter registration. We found out people were getting voter cards as a piece of ID. We said it's not the best ID for yeah. that purpose. Um, but it's, it is to drive voting. And it's to drive them because um, identification, bar the lack of identification bars you from so much. You can't get in half the buildings in this city without a, a piece so of photo. You can't yeah. fly. You don't you even think about you that. You can't yeah. get into Social Security to apply for your Social Security without ID. Oh, my God. So you can kind of get stuck there. Yeah, you yeah. sure can. Yeah. Yeah, um, and our, our work we do—that's um, a student-run. Our immigration law clinic is a student-run. We provide free tax. We did um, about three million dollars in tax free tax prep for folks last year, so they could get their tax money back. Um, and a lot of these, we do a lot of work with students because it's very exciting um, to have students come and not just serve food, but use their skills that they're training for and studying mm-hmm. for, hopefully to plant the seed of their social responsibility in the future. Well, I, I think you must be doing a good job. I mean, the fact that you can get students to come in and yeah. volunteer and yeah. do that, you know, once a week or yeah. whatever they yeah. do, it's it's really extraordinary. And so what what's next for you guys? What's your next, uh, you know, mm-hmm. big... <laughs> You're doing an expansion. We're doing a, a physical expansion um, of some space we, that we had carved out um, to, to now we can handle it. We're building a larger demo kitchen, more storage uh, capacity for food. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a very large research project, which hopefully will be published in the fall to see what the impacts of our, um, our, of our technology and our, and our approach to um, anti-poverty, if it's working where it's not, where it is. Uh-huh. Um, look, uh, we've spun off the digital food pantry into a separate company. So we can move that into to other municipalities. And will that be a profit? Will that be a moneymaker for you? Will you be able to derive some income from that? I'm hoping. I'm oh, nonprofit businesses to make money have never terribly succeeded. Yeah. It won't be a money loser, right? Um, we, we would not do it as that. Um, we hope to. Hope but to it would become some. a little bit of a revenue stream, yeah. like a royalty or something yeah. like that. Oh, yes. that just helps we'll you fund software. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty exciting. Um, but and, and to continue and to continue, one of the things uh, we've got two seconds just to add on is our advocacy work. We have a community advocacy advocacy board um, that's met with the politicians, met with Senator Schumer, met with um, uh, retiring congressman Towns, because I've told the folks we serve, the poverty issue doesn't deeply affect me, it affects you. And so you've got to get out there and use your voice. And to be able to help them and learn how to navigate this, that some of us take for granted how to navigate Mm -hmm. the structures, they're learning how to, and it's, it's very exciting that the community is bringing their kind of resources and their power to bear on the problem. That's amazing. So, um, in closing, Tony, <laughs> um, what do you see happening in the next election? Do you think we're gonna? Do you think Obama's gonna win? And I think he's gonna sneak through. I th- barely. I, th- I yeah. think he is um, because I don't think um, Romney is a, a terribly strong candidate. Um, I, it, it's always going to be the, that temper swing, uh, swing voters yeah. who will do it. It's important for people to get out to vote. Um, I see things getting worse in terms of the, the separation between the very wealthy and, and, the, and those without. And as, as we talked about earlier, I think we're, we're moving into a food crisis, um, yeah. particularly as food moves more and more and more as a commodity. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think food should be taken out of the commodities yeah. market altogether. Um, I, I see no reason why uh, companies that are already making mad money should be uh-huh. making more money on, <laughs> and then and thus driving the prices up yes. for you know average consumers yeah. as well as those who are yeah. living below the poverty mm-hmm. line. So um, anyway, well, we will close with that, and I'll be back next week with an unknown guest yet, as yet, maybe Tony. <laughs> <laughs> We can find lots more to talk about. But my guest today has been uh, Anthony Butler, the director, executive director of St. John's Bread and Life in Bed-Stuyvesant, Bedford-Stuyvesant. And um, thanks a lot for coming by, Tony. Oh, thanks. And people should check out the website because it's really an amazing organization that you're running there. Great. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. And thank you, Carlos. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, folks. Bye-bye.